briefly from going through the book of Mark. One of the reasons is that uh, Gary um, has a good friend who I think 11 years ago, Gary asked the elders when this friend was supposed to pass away if he could go and do the funeral. And uh, uh, 11 years later, that has happened. And so Gary is, uh, is a friend of his from the Officer Christian Fellowship. And uh, so he told me Tuesday he was leaving. He had already been preparing for Mark. And so I decided to go elsewhere and uh, thought it fitting. And uh, it's been a, it, just to be honest with you, it's, it's been a really rough week. Um, and so one of the things that I proposed to Gary was that he could write my sermon and I would write his funeral message, but the only caveat was we couldn't open it until we got into the platform. And he didn't trust me, I think is probably the real reason, and so you're getting, what you're getting this morning is um, a, a little glimpse into my life um, in how I move myself through difficult weeks, and the places that I go, and the things that I need in order to, to focus in and to, to set my mind on truth and reality. And my goal this morning, my goal this morning is for us to be encouraged. Little did I know, in our, we started our growth group back uh, this past week on Sunday night, um, uh, we were just talking about the past year, and, and Casey was talking about how difficult it had been, and, you know, just thankful for her, just what a great gift God has given me and my wife, and she was just talking about God's goodness and how good God is, even in the midst of difficult and hard times, and, and probably shamefully, I was just like, yeah, God's good, you know, and then Monday morning hits, right, and, and what... What comes down to the depth of the reality as things begin to settle if God is good. God, God's good. God's good, Lewis. <laughs> what a year. What a year. If we ever had any crazy notion that things couldn't change quickly, just think about this past year. In February of 2020, we were packed like sardines in here celebrating Gary's tenure at this church. Little did we know, at that point, there were murmurings of this thing called the coronavirus, and little did we know how those murmurings would turn into a roar and affect everything. And now, <laughs> and if you remember even, I know for me, I'm a sports guy, for me, you know, if you remember the, the, the events, the first kind of thing was I think they canceled uh, a professional basketball game and then all of a sudden the, the conference championships and then there was no way we were having the Final Four. And so all these memories start to kind of flood back in over this past year. And, and one of the things that I want to say to you is over this past year as a church, things have been really weird and awkward. And I don't like it. I don't like the plastic on the seat. I don't like the two services. And I don't like that we, for some of you, that, you know, that we've got to be online and it's necessary and it's good. I'm not, I'm not bemoaning that, but I'm just saying I don't like it. I wish we were all together. It's been a rough year. It's been weird. As I think back over the past year and some of the funerals that I've attended or some of the funerals that I've conducted, some of the ones that people that we've lost, 
There's been weddings over this past year. And that's been glorious, but that's been awkward as well. Our kids are going through these major transitions in life. Of Some are graduating. Some are moving from middle school into high school. Some are leaving home. Some are going to college. They're, and these are just weird, odd, difficult times. And as folks have started coming back as we've had nursery and it makes it a little bit more bearable for parents when we have the nursery. And uh, then some of the kids enter the hallway and I'm like, who in the world is that? Oh, yeah, I know him. He was this big. <laughs> now he's this big. Never imagined this type of year. Not only with the virus, but with political things, with the racial tensions, with, with all the things that have been taking place. As I was taking William yesterday to uh, drop him off at school so that he could go on a lacrosse, uh, ride the bus to a lacrosse game. Uh, we heard on Moody it was some commercial over something and the guy was referencing Back to the Future. For some of you young kids, this is a movie about kind of time travel. Um, I won't go into that. But do you remember Dr. Brown in the movie? The, the kind of Einstein mad scientist guy? And so this guy that was doing the commercial was saying that if, if, if the movie was made now, that they would have Dr. Brown say, Marty, don't go to 2020. Stay away from there. You see, I think what we are, one of the things that we are to learn from this, and one of the things that we must see, and this is not a new theme as we've been going through this, but one of the things we must see is that the world is broken. The world is not like it should be. That sin has affected everything. That when sin entered into the world, it has changed and it has affected everything. There's sickness, there's hurt, there's disease, there's war, there's persecution. And brothers and sisters, the church is not immune to sin and the effects of sin. I, I, I want to freely admit that, you know, I know we have tried and we have attempted and it's been our heart to minister to you in, in good and wonderful ways, but I know that there are times that we have failed you in that. I know there are. I, I, I think about the church at large and just think about, you know, this past year, somebody whose ministry has meant just a ton to me over the years, Ravi Zacharias, just a giant and a pillar. Um, and just thinking about what happened, what was going on in his life and how sin has just marred that ministry. Now, you should be asking, Lewis, I thought you said this was an encouraging message. Just hang in there. Hang in there. We must understand the context of our situation. We must understand the days that we're living in. We must understand the reality of our universe, the reality that we are living. We must understand that for the good news and the encouragement to be good news. We've got, to, we've got to start there. And in fact, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, it's been clear and it's evident that Jesus came, that God sent His Son into this broken world. And we have the fact and the reality that here is the Son of God in the world that He created and the people don't even recognize Him. And they're going to ultimately put Him to death. But that Jesus comes into this world 
with all its conflict, with all its turmoil, that He comes to seek and save the lost. And He comes to bring salvation. And that through faith in Christ, we can be reconciled to God. But that's not all that Christ's death and resurrection secures, right? That's not the end of the story. We're not only reconciled to God here, but that our hope is that one day we will be with Him. God says, Behold, I am making all things new. And we, as we are here, we wait and we long for this. You see, this is not new. This concept of, as believers, we are already, when we trust Christ, when Christ opens our eyes and we see our sin, and when Christ calls us and we see His Son as our Savior, and we submit our lives to Him, the thing that happens is that at that point, we are already His. He is already in a relationship. But, brothers and sisters, we are not yet what we will be. And in this time until then, there are hurts, there are aches, there are pains, there is turmoil. And we have to learn how to live in this world in the midst of this tension. And this morning, what you're going to see from this book is that one of the ways, it's not the only way, it's not the only way, but that one of the ways that we do that is that our, our foundation is anchored in our hope and our hope is in God. And when we talk about hope, you've heard me say this many times, what we are not saying is the same as like, I hope that lunch tastes good this afternoon. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. It's not the kind of hope of, I hope my team wins the game. When we talk, that's wishing. This is solid foundation hope. It is truth. It is unshakable. It's unbendable. It is boom. It is rock solid. And when we place, when we understand our hope, when we understand this good news, it encourages us and it helps us to live in a fallen world. Now, one of the things that has changed over the years with technology is that it has changed the way that we view uh, television. It's changed the way that I have viewed sporting events. Some of you, this may shock you because you're not very old. Some of you, it may be amazing to know that used to, if you wanted to watch a football game, and it started at 3 o'clock, guess what? You had to be home at 3 o'clock. This is not too long ago, but some of our kids don't realize this. Now, I can get home at 5 o'clock, have missed the game, and I go in, and the first thing that happens when I click the button do you want to watch this game? It says, do you want to start from the beginning? And very often, from the beginning, and I watch the game. Now, sometimes, sometimes, when I'm watching the game, I already know the outcome. I already know the score. And so sometimes as I'm watching my favorite team play, what I know is, is that, oh, we win. One of the things that I often forget during football season is that this thing on my wrist, this smartwatch, will notify me when my team scores or when the other team scores, and I'm addicted like a rat to this thing, so when it goes off, I look, 
And so oftentimes, even if I'm trying not to get the score of the game, guess what? I get the score of the game. The worldwide leader in sports tells me what's going on. So several times, I have watched a game knowing the end result. And what I want to ask you is, let's say you're watching a game and the game is important to you and you know the end result. You know the end result is that your team wins. Does it change how you view the game? Does it change how you view the game? How silly would it be if you're all anxious, wondering if you're going to win? You know you're going to win. How silly would it be if your frustration just builds and builds and builds and you're just like, I hate this team. No, you're going to win the game. Chill out. Or that you despair and that you go in and you start stress eating. That's me. No, you're going to win the game. You see, when you watch a game that's important to you and you know the outcome, as you watch the game, what's going on inside of you is what I'm calling a joyful expectation. You know the result is sure. You know the end score of the game. And so as you're watching and as you're experiencing, there's a joyful expectation of things are going to go our way. Sometimes the problem is, and I have these kinds of friends in my life, sometimes the problem is if I tell a friend, yeah, oh, don't, don't tell me the score of the game, I'm, I'm going home later to watch it, they'll say, oh, you lost. Or they may say, you win. And then sometimes, guess what? Some of my friends are lying to me. And what this brings home is that So when my friends tell me the result of the game, I don't believe them. I trust the worldwide leader in sports when they tell me who wins the game. And so what we get in this text, what we get in prophecy, is that God is telling us the end of the game. He's telling us what happens. He's telling us the final score. He's telling us what it's going to look like. And what I want you to see, first of all, as we look at this, is it is God Himself who is telling us this. And let me just put out a word real quick. God does not reveal prophecy to us so that we can sit around and make charts and figure it all out. If He did, it would be perfectly clear. It's not perfectly clear. He reveals prophecy to us because it's supposed to do something in our hearts and in our life and to change us. And it's supposed to change the way we live. And what God wants us to know as He is giving us this prophecy is who the author of it is. Now, Revelation 22 is one of those places in the Bible where they have a bad chapter break. Revelation 21 and 22, are the, it's the same, the same unfolding message. It should be the same chapter. And this is where God is talking about the new Jerusalem. And He's giving us this prophecy. And in fact, if we were to go back to chapter 21, and look at verse 5. And this is repeated. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, God said, Write, for these things, these words are faithful and true. And then when we go back over to our text in chapter 22, verse 6, notice again, He said to me, These words are faithful and true. 
the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show to bondservants the things that which must soon take place. God himself is giving this prophecy to the writers for a purpose. Now, if you were to take yourself back a year ago, one of the most frustrating things as a pastor who is trying to help in the elder room to make decisions for a church and how we should do things is how quickly science became politicized. And so what happened is that based upon, if we're just real and honest, based upon whichever news channel you watched, we were all either going to die or we were going to be fined by last Easter. And it became so frustrating because we had to like sift, try to sift through things to, to, to get help. To say, what does the real science say? And in many instances, the scientists were serving the political agendas. Here, God serves no man. God is the source of truth. And so when we hear Him predict things, it is true. Because He brings it to pass, and lo, He has already brought it to pass. So God is the author. And whatever He says, we can take to the bank. And notice that He gives this word. I'm going to go back to the beginning of Revelation just for a moment. I want you to notice a couple of things. In, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and Heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. So we're blessed if we read. We're blessed if we hear. And we need to heed the words written in it. And then look at verse 11. Saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now here, he is sending it to the seven churches. But the point I want to make, when we jump back over to chapter 22, when we jump back over there and we look at verse 16, Notice here at the end, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. And so what I want you to see is that the design of this prophecy was for the church. The design of this prophecy is that God has given this to us, a local gathering of believers to hear and to read these things for our benefit. And as we do this, we, the church, are to know that our goal is to rely on the author of this prophecy. That is to direct us to God and to direct us to this word. And the other thing is that, as you've heard, that this is given to us to, to proclaim. We're not given this to, to just put up somewhere. In fact, look at verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near that these words were given to us to edify us, to encourage us, to build us up. And so we need to take this word very, very, very seriously. And you may already be saying, wait, 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 Lewis. Did you hear what you read? He said, behold, I am coming quickly. 2,000 years is not quickly. You know if you have been here, for any period of time. 
One of the things that we know about God is that God is not bound by time. These are things that we don't fully understand about God. He's outside of time. And as we look at salvation history, when we look at the the gospel history that God created, man fell, God sent Christ, Christ died on the cross, He rose from the grave, He ascended into heaven, and the next event in gospel history is Christ coming back. And so God tells us, behold, I am coming soon. The author of this book, the one who knows all things, tells us he is coming soon. He is coming at any time and we are to have urgency. We are to pay attention. We are to fix our hope on this reality and on these facts. And we are to live in this world with, in the reality that this world is fading. This world is passing away. And that our world is not, our hope is not in this world or the things of this world. But we've been given this writing to see and to know the truth. Earlier I talked about if we were watching a ball game and we knew the end score. We knew that we win, that we would watch that game differently. What if you're watching that game and the the best player, the starting quarterback, Heisman Trophy candidate, third quarter blows out his knee? You know the end, but the best player on the team, the best player on the field blows out his knee. What if you're watching this game, you know the end results, but the refs are just horrible and they're just giving it to your team. You're like, oh my goodness, how in the world are we going to overcome this horrific uh, officiating of this game? Or, Or what if this, what if let's say that it gets down and there's only two minutes left in the game. And for those of you who don't watch football, that's not a lot of time. There's only two minutes left in the game and you've been struggling to move the ball all game and you're down by 14 or 21 points. Do you despair? Do you throw the remote? Do you turn the TV off? No! If you know the end result of the game, what fills you is, whew, what's going to happen? How are they going to do this? How are they going to pull this off? They're going to win without their best player. They're going to win in spite of the referees. My goodness, I don't see how a team can come back from this, but I know they do. I can't wait to see this happen. Brothers and sisters, shouldn't this be our Christian life? That in the midst of all the hardships and all the struggles and all the turmoil and all the things that were going on, and all the things we see in our world, and all the things that feel like they're stacked against us, and that are weighing on us, and are pressing us down, it should blow our minds to know that we win. And it should fill our heart and soul with anticipation of, I can't wait to see how God's going to do it. I can't wait to see what He does. Knowing the reality of the end fuels our expectation and anticipation. And as we look, and as we look at what the end looks like, there's two realities. And I want to say this morning, I just want to apologize, on the two realities, the first reality I'm going to look at, I'm not going to spend any time because I want to emphasize the second. The first reality that we see is 
it merits a whole lot of time. It merits a whole lot of um, looking at. But the first reality that I want to look at is, is, is in verse 15. And it starts with just one word that I want to talk about for a little bit. And it says, outside. Outside. That in reality, in heaven, at the end of the days, there are people who are outside and there are people who are inside. And the imagery here, the imagery here is of ancient times. Of ancient times where you had kingdoms and you had cities and they were fortified. And during these times, if you were outside the walls, if you were outside the kingdom, this was not a good place. Many folks who were outside the kingdom had been banished from the king's presence outside of the kingdom, outside into the wilderness. See, here's the deal. Inside, inside a good king had furnished food, substance, governance. He, he was making a way for his people to flourish. He protected them. Outside was bad. Now, we don't get this because many of you in our day and age choose to live outside. You want to be outside Signal Mountain City limits. You want to be in uh, Saudi Daisy, which some believe you need a passport to go that far. And these days, living outside is great. You know, and you protect yourselves with your drones and your lasers and your whatever else you protect yourselves with. It's a different society. We've got to get back into this day and age and back into this imagery where in this day and age, being outside the camp, you're not going to make it. And in fact, in fact, what we see from this text that those that are outside are being punished and the reality is that they're punished and their doom is sure at the end of the age. And hear me, and this is all I'm saying on this, this, should break our, this reality should break our hearts that that is a reality and it should fuel mission and evangelism in us. And there's a whole lot we should say there. But for the sake of time, I need to move to the second reality. Verse 1. There's a river. Then He showed me a river of the water of life. No society, no kingdom can function without water. If you do not have a way to get water and to drink water, your city, your kingdom will not last. What's fascinating is that in this text, we are told God is communicating to us, this is the new Jerusalem. And guess what? Guess what is not in Jerusalem? A river. But in the Old Testament, prophecy after prophecy in Ezekiel and in Psalms, prophecy after prophecy talk about the new Jerusalem and each one of them says there is a river. And when Jesus comes, if you've been doing your Bible reading, when Jesus comes in John, do you remember, I think it was this week, where we started here, and there was a woman at the well, and He tells her, I can give you water. I can give you water. And He doesn't stop there, does He? Chapter 5, 6, 7, Jesus talks about this water, this life that is springing from us. And notice in this text, where this water is coming from. It's coming from the throne of God and the throne of Christ. Pure. 
He has given us water. He has given us substance. And, and I love this. Look at verse 17. And this verse is actually in, verse 20, in chapter 21 as well. But notice verse 17. The Spirit of the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Look at this, church. What do we bring to come to Christ? We bring our thirst. And let him who is thirsty come. And take of the water of life without cost. That we are filled. And that we are satisfied. And that's not the only thing that they tell us is in this kingdom and there's a lot of imagery here from Genesis, and if we had a ton more time, we would make some parallels and connections, but for the sake of time, look at the second thing that he tells us is in this kingdom. And on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. And the picture here is this, that God has put a tree, and notice that this tree uh, I have apple trees in my yard and I have a pear tree that sometimes has pears, sometimes doesn't have pears in my yard. And notice what happens here in, in our world is that my apple tree is always an apple tree. And I get fruit, I get apples for a period of time and I've got to wait till I can eat them and then they go away. In heaven, the substance that God gives us, the food for us to partake of, is fully abundant. It is always right. And it is multifaceted. And we should be blown away by this. And, and notice also that its leaves are given for the healing of the nations. So what happened at the Tower of Babel when man was trying to reach God on his own and God separated the nations? And we have, if you've read the book of Revelation, you know that all nations are represented at the throne of God, praising God forever. And what we see is that this tree brought the healing of the nations. That we are all together with one purpose, one cause, one city, one Lord, one God, worshiping, eating, and drinking. And it ramps up. It ramps up. There will no longer be any curse. There will no longer be any curse. There will no longer be any curse. Can you imagine? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he, sit, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I don't think we can feel the weight of this because we can't imagine a reality with no curse. No devastation. No heartache. No sickness. No pain. No disruption in relationships. No more curse. And this isn't the greatest part of this text. The, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and they if you are in Christ you will see his face <laughs> you'll see his face in this imagery like I said earlier one of the common 
nomenclatures for people who were banished was they couldn't be in, in front of the face of the king. And the king, if you are his, if, if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, he has welcomed you, in, you into his city and you will be with him and you will see his face. We'll be his bond servants. We will serve him. His name will be on our foreheads, meaning that we are his. We are marked as his. And notice verse five. And they will reign with him forever and ever. All the blessings of the kingdom, all the privilege of relationship will be given to us and we will be with him forever and I don't think we can truly imagine or, or capture the, the beauty and the glory and the magnificence of this text. I, I think we struggle to, to kind of even put it into our imaginations. No song can capture it. No movie. No book. This is weighty, heavy, awesome, glorious stuff. The only way that I can even come close to imagining it is, is if you take the greatest feeling you have ever had on the greatest day that you have ever had and you multiply it by a million. Because when we try to do that, we can't even fathom it. <laughs> when we realize that this is our destiny, when this really sinks in, when we understand this hope, it changes us. It should change us. This word, this prophecy is meant to change you right now. That we are meant to have joyful expectations in the view of hardships and difficulties. And we are to know that when we are walking through this world and when we are walking through difficult things, that we know that this is not forever. That there will be one day when that curse is gone and there will be no more difficulties. No more turmoil. In fact, when we know and we understand what the end is, we begin to look at our affliction and our hardships differently. As God's Word says, we look at those as God doing something, as producing something, that God is in control of that and He is, he is doing something in our lives. That even when the game doesn't seem to be going well, we know that the end is sure. And what this does, I think, when we look at the book of Revelation, when we, particularly when we look at these two chapters, 21 and 22, it brings Romans 8 just right into view. We know the end score. We know the end of the game. In this text, Romans 8 becomes alive. That whether it's famine, whether it's cancer, whether it's loss of a loved one, loss of relationship, nakedness, sword, persecution, whatever you want to put in there, nothing, nothing, even death itself, nothing separates you from Christ. And nothing separates you from this future. The game is over. <laughs> and that we, the church, we, the church, have been given this message to proclaim to one another, 
to relate to one another, that we are to be reminding ourselves and each other that the end is sure and that we are more than conquerors, even if it kills us. And, and this word, this knowing the end, is supposed to produce in us action to where we live in such a way in this world to where we are knowing God and making Him known with our lives. And this is the place, this is the place that a lot of you begin, I think, sometimes to, to beat yourself up or to, to get into this bad place and God gives us this word to give us courage, to strengthen us, to pursue righteousness. And, and, and one of the things that I just think is awesome in this text. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Now, the grammar here is this is a continuing washing of the robes. So blessed are those who are continually washing their robes. And you say, yep, there it is, Lewis. Yep, so... Oh, yeah, so, man, I've got to really try to do it up and wash those robes. And how would we wash robes? If we want our robes to be white, we scrub, we put bleach, you know, we try to get out all the stains. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, you'll know that this isn't the first time that the washing of the robes has been mentioned in this book. In chapter 7, in chapter 7, when it says that the saints were washing their robes, they were washing their robes in the red staining blood of the Lamb. And the red staining blood of the Lamb made the garments white. And so we, church, when we get into this place of feeling like I can't, I, I can't pursue righteousness. I can't take those steps. I can't. What we are to do, or, or maybe we get to the place to where we've sinned. And we're struggling with sin and patterns of sin in our life. What this prophecy is telling us is blessed are those who are washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Who are taking our sin, our folly, our shame, our inadequacies. We're taking that to the Savior. And He is making our garments white because He is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And helps us to live a life of victory. So church, where's your hope this morning? Think about how crazy it is. When you're watching a game and you know the end and you still stay frustrated, that you have a pity party, that you complain that we never win, that we're terrible. Think about how crazy it would be if you watched a game and you know the end, that you get so anxious that you give yourself an ulcer. Think about how crazy it is if the worldwide leader of sports alerts you on your watch that you win and you trust your neighbor over the expert. Think about how crazy it is to try to live in this world as a believer without considering the reality of God's truth that we win. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, huh. 
Thank you. Help us keep these truths in front of us. God, we love you.